Welcome to Bookish at Bethel. I'm Carrie Peffley in the Philosophy Department, and I'm joined by Anne-Marie Koistra in the History Department. And this week we have Dan Ritchie from English, Andy Bramson from Political Science, and Rushika Haig from History. And they're all on the Humanities One team. Uh, and they're joining us in our second ever Christmas episode. And we gave them the task this week of choosing a virtual Christmas present that's a book for another person on the team. Yeah. And so you get to hear what uh, what they give each other and uh, also, of course, what's on their nightstand. Thanks for listening. We are with the Humanities One team members today, and we are doing a version of Secret Santa virtual gift giving, um, except that in this case, you all know who you've got a book to give to, so it's not exactly secret. But Dan, you um, selected, I think, was it Andy? That's right. Um, and so... What what book would you like to virtually give Andy Bramson? Well, first of all, I really like this because um, I don't actually have to give him anything. Uh, <laughs> you can buy me something very expensive. <laughs> it's, I, it is. It's something very precious. But when I knew I was going to be on with Andy and Rushika, they, they both have strong medieval interests. And um, then I... I I've been with Andy's family uh, at least once, I think twice, uh, with his kids and uh, really enjoyed uh, being with them. And so I picked a, a storybook that we actually gave to our second child the very month that he was born called St. George and the Dragon. It has lavish illustrations by Trina Shard Hyman. Um, and she actually signed this book for us. It's the story of Spencer's Fairy Queen book one about St. George, who's a miserable failure until uh, Una, his, his <laughs> companion, his female companion, keeps him on the right track. And after numerous failures, he ultimately kills the dragon. But I chose this for Andy partly because of the medieval uh, framework. I know he uh, he likes reading uh, novels about the Middle Ages, but also because of his wonderful kids. Uh, and I know he uh, he and Sarah read the stories to their kids, and I thought they might enjoy this. Thank you, Dan. And you know what? That's fun is I actually already have that book, believe it oh, or not. Right. I'll re-gift it to some other, somebody else. But um, somebody bought that for Stephen, um, my son, at his um, baptism, actually, as a kind of inspirational you know, story as a warrior of the faith. And I do love reading that book to my, him and oh, have read it a number of times. So it's a... An excellent Good. choice in your part. Good taste. <laughs> uh, we now have a three, four-year-old grandson mm -hmm. and granddaughter, and we read this to them over the summer. And uh, both of them liked it, but the grandson really liked it. And by the end yep. of our three-day vacation, he could repeat the ends of sentences on nice. his own, which, as all of us parents know, is a great joy when your kids love a book that much. That is fun. That is fun. Fantastic. You're giving me some good ideas for Christmas for my three-year-old nephew. So this there is good. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. It is. And Dan is right. The art is lovely in there. It's really nicely done. And Rushika, you own this book as well? Yes, I uh, We all <laughs> own this book, actually. <laughs> so. Your team is so in sync with wow. each other. It's I know. amazing. I'd love to see if Andrew Russell owns this book. If he doesn't, <laughs> maybe we have to actually buy him a copy. <laughs> Yeah, now I can confess, I don't own the book, but this is definitely one that we have checked out 
on many occasions from the library, um, largely because of the beautiful, beautiful artwork, but then also the story is, is great too. Oh, fantastic. That's great. So, well, I think it makes the most sense since we just got what Andy's gift was to then turn it to Andy. So who did you choose and what did you get? So I'm person? I'm getting my virtual gift for Rushika and it's sticking with the medieval theme because as Dan noted, um, Rushika is the true medievalist. I'm just the one who likes to sort of dabble in things medieval, but she she's the real deal. Um, so this I read this book myself um, actually during the kind of COVID lockdown. Um, and it's kind of, it's a medieval book that's hot off the presses. So I thought maybe you won't actually have read this yet. Um, just came out this year, but it's by um, one of my recent new favorite authors, Sharon K. Penman. Um, and it's called The Land Beyond the Sea. And it's a, it's basically, I don't have it here with me. I don't actually own it. I borrowed it from the library. Um, but The Land Beyond the Sea is the story of um, the Crusader Kingdom. So that's established after the first crusade. Um, and it talks about kind of the waning days of the Crusader Kingdom, focusing on the years um, 1172 to till its fall, and then shortly thereafter, uh, around 1187. Um, and it's, I think, really well done. Penman is a very thoughtful novelist. So it's a novel, but it's she's a very thoughtful historical novelist who does her research really well. Um, I think who tries to do her settings really well, and who tries to take seriously the values of the people she's writing about. I mean, as best I can tell, she t I think she's more secular herself, but she takes seriously, I mean, how would a medieval Christian have thought about these issues? How would a medieval Muslim have thought about these issues? Um, and she really tries to get in their heads and to tell us that story so that we, we can get a sense of kind of what's motivating these people. She also just tells a story really, really well. Um, so it's it's a long read, but it's a really good one. I read it. My wife read it. We both enjoyed it. Um, and I feel like I have a, at least a little more of a sense of what the, the Crusader Kingdom was about. Um, so I recommend that for your, your Christmas gift. It sounds really wonderful. I am a huge fan of historical fiction, but find it very difficult to find good historical fiction. A lot of it is mm -hmm. you know, inaccurate at best trashy at worst, right, right. mystic, um, all those terrible things. But this sounds really intriguing. And I mean, the Crusader Kingdoms are sort of endlessly fascinating and very complex and so much going on there. And uh, I think people sort of dismiss how important they were actually for yeah. the medieval world and for at least the medieval imagination. Right, right. Because, I mean, it, it, she does such a nice job of, like, giving you a sense of, like, these people were – this was home, right? I mean, and that's interesting. Like, we tend to dismiss it. I mean, like, it only lasted 80-some years um, in Jerusalem itself, right? Um, the kingdom itself lasts more like 200, right? But, um, you know, that's still a long time, right? That's still a lot of people's lifetimes that are encapsulated within that, that time period. Um, and I think she gives a good sense of that. She's also like the historical part. One of the things I love about her works is she always does this author's note at the end in which she basically confesses to you the things she did where she changed it. Um, so she says like, you know, here's what I'm drawing on. Here are the, you know, and here are the things where I like combined some events or I took a liberty of putting a character here, even though they weren't really because it made the story flow. So it's like she feels this kind of moral obligation to tell you like the things she did differently, um, which makes me respect like the kind of history behind um, her historical fiction. So, uh, and, and they're just like, those are fun reads too. I, I think I look forward to the author's notes almost as much as the books. Um, she's also got a number that are about medieval England that are just great. So I recommend her. Nice. Well, Rushika, so 
you must have had Dan Ritchie as your um, recipient. So um, what, what book did you get Dan Ritchie for Christmas? What do you get the man who has everything? I know. Um, well, I, I had so many thoughts. I really, really did. And, you know, I thought, well, I know Dan is a fan of Roger Scruton, as is my husband. But I figured, well, he probably owns most of Roger Scruton. So, you know, maybe that doesn't make sense. Um, so I did for a while think about getting him green philosophy, which is um, Roger Scruton's sort of environmental, ecological book, which I'm starting to work on. Um, you know, he was a, he was a great um, fan. He was sort of an, he made himself into an English country gentleman. And he actually reminds me a lot of um, my Latin professor from grad school, who actually is an English country gentleman. <laughs> and, um, they both, they both loved hunting and um, were, were quite sad when that was abolished. Um, but I did not go with Roger Scruton. Um, in spite of that, I went with um, one of my favorite books because Dan brought up the Civil War the other day, and um, it's Raintree County by Lock Ross Lockbridge Jr. It's sort of the the um, in my opinion the unknown great American novel. Um, I've read it a lot. It's sort of endlessly fascinating. It takes place just before before during and after the Civil War. It's um, kind of done in a series of flashbacks, but there's sort of, it, parts of it are highly experimental where he combines um, tales from, from newspaper clippings and like tales of a hot air balloon ascent. And um, it's the story of a, a young man who's actually named after John Wycliffe. Mm. Um, his name is John Wycliffe Shaughnessy. And um, it's a coming of age story. He goes off to war. It's, of course, about love. Mm -hmm. um, and it's also one of those great books that has um, really the, the earth as a character. Raintree County is a character um, in, in the novel. I, I, it's one I love. It has some interesting things. It um, has some very intriguing characters. And uh, so that's what, that's what I decided to go with. Well, thank you. Thank you. And it's Rain Tree County is the title. Yes. Yeah, I think it came out in, I don't know, late 40s, early 50s. And, and can you tell me it does, which side does he fight on? Uh, the Union. He's on the Union side. And yeah. what state is Rain Tree County in? Uh, it's never quite said. Possi possibly Indiana, um, but it, the exact location is not quite determined. Okay. Um, it's got, um, the Rain Tree is a mythical tree that's supposed to be found in in their um, county and it's um, a little bit of nod to the Garden of Eden um, the rain tree and um, yeah so and it incorporates like lyrics from Civil War songs throughout it and I don't know it's just kind of a fascinating it was made into a not very good movie with um, um, Montgomery Clift and Elizabeth Taylor oh. um, and <laughs> Who I both adore, but mm -hmm. begin to capture the complexity of the book. Thank you. They have to make it all happy and tidy, so that's a problem too. Yeah. Now I realize this wasn't on the agenda for this conversation today, but since I have three members of the Humanities One team, it seems maybe worth asking: How has Humanities One gone in a time of COVID? And maybe Dan, let's start with you. Well, um, it, 
I, I had a really wonderful uh, conversation on Wednesday. So uh, sometimes it, it helps. Uh, it helps to have come off a good, good conversation. The students uh, were finishing up Dante and they were uh, they're in the earthly paradise, the very end of the purgatory. And uh, they were kind of joking ab about the allegorical significance and doing a lot of good work. And, and they knew each other well enough that they could actually interact humorously with each other, um, both on, especially those who were face-to-face, -face, but even those who were on Zoom. And that really, that really made me feel good uh, because as all of us in the humanities program know, one of the chief advantages is the relationships students can build with each other and especially um, in the interim experience uh, when they're doing the play. So for me to be able to see that um, first semester has been good, but it's been, it's been really tough lecturing in Benson Great Hall to 40 students is um, dismal. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's been, it's been challenging. I think, I mean, it's, I think it's gone okay. And I've had some pretty good groups actually, especially my, my second section's really strong, but yeah, it's just so challenging having, and especially having some people at distance. I mean, the people on Zoom just tend to be very, very dead and participate little, if at all. Um, so it it is a weird dynamic. Mm -hmm. I can imagine, especially starting out that way, the you know the perk of Humanities Four is that at least we already had relationships right. built mm -hmm. to jump into. Yeah. Yeah, Rushika, did you want to add anything to that? Oh, I mean, I, I agree. It has been challenging, but on the other hand. I also feel like I was talking to one of my students and he said, he's just been so grateful that we've, we made it through mm -hmm. a semester in person. And he said, most of his friends that he talks to, they didn't even start in person. Yeah. So he said he was just really grateful to be here at Bethel and be in person. And so in spite of the awkwardness of teaching in masks and the, you know, less than, um, excellent dynamic in Benson Great Hall and all of that. I think that for the most part, students have been just really grateful to be here. Wait, wait a minute. Did you say you've been using masks this semester? <laughs> <laughs> Not funny. <sighs> Plague mask. I've been, I've been wearing that every day to class. Right. appropriate for humanities one. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I agree, Rushka. I think they, they really have appreciated it. And I, I have to remind myself sometimes that it's, you know, my comparison is to how humanities one should be the normal way. And theirs is like, this is their humanities one experience. And I think we've been able to do a reasonable job of, of, you know, replacing things we normally would have done, like go to the MIA or go to a church for medieval evening with some experiences that still give them you know, kind of that learning experience. And they're still building, I think, some good community. And so that's encouraging. Mm -hmm. So I think it's good. It's just, it's been challenging. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to give a shout out to Rushika. She did a virtual MIA tour for us this fall, which took a lot of work. And it was very, it wasn't just the MIA. She took us to museums all over the world. And it was, uh, it was really a, a great, a, a great experience. Fantastic. And I was going to ask, so you also said uh, in place of medieval evening, you did something else. What was your virtual version of that? Or did you do a virtual version? 
Yeah, um, I uh, have gotten to know uh, a Catholic uh, nun at Cristo Rey School, and she and another sister from the School Sisters of Notre Dame uh, talked about their call to become nuns. Uh, they were on Zoom, uh, and then they gave a presentation, kind of, it's the presentation they give to young women who are considering joining. And then, Rushika, you want to talk about the chart? Yeah, and then I found um, a really nice virtual tour of chart. Mm -hmm. And so we used that video with two very enthusiastic art historians, but it, it gave a, sort of a different view and really had good visuals of the interior. So that was the closest we could get to sort of bringing them to a different space than what most of them are used to worshiping in. And then Abby Rockhill did a really nice um, presentation on Hildegard of Bingen and medieval music, and we wrapped up the evening with Compline. So we did do it in person. We were in Benson for that, um, and we encouraged people to come as, if they could. But if not, we also, of course, had it going live on Zoom. Wow. That sounds, I mean, that sounds like a very creative and actually really worthwhile experience. And I think it sounds like so there are certain elements that I'd like to incorporate even into the existing medieval experience. So, I mean, I think that's one of the things I've appreciated about COVID is that um, although there's definitely negative aspects and there's um, adversity, it also has the effect of making me more creative as a professor and forcing me out of um, maybe um, some static approaches that I've taken to teaching. So I have appreciated the yep. greater creativity that maybe I've been forced into um, adopting. So well, it sounds like your team has done pretty well on that front as well. Great. Well, because we have three people and Carrie and I are also here, I want to make sure that we have a chance to talk through what is on your nightstands. And so maybe let's go reverse order and start with Rushika, because Rushika, let's be honest, of all the guests that we've had on, she has um, the most, um, how would you describe her nightstand choices, Carrie? <laughs> Eclectic. Eclectic. That's the best word. Great. All right. So, Rushka, what is on your nightstand? I am trying to finish right now a biography of a poet who was known as, they called her the female Byron. Um, her name was Letitia Landon, um, Letitia Elizabeth Landon, but she wrote under her initials. So she was known as L.E.L. Mm. And she wrote what on the surface of it is sort of, you know, flowery, cloying poetry, but um, apparently she led a pretty wild and scandalous life and um, was um, the mistress of her um, mentor and bore him several children, all of which was kind of kept on the, on the down low. And um, so it goes through her poetry, her biography, all the people she knew and um, sort of how she scrambled to make ends meet and get recognition. She was actually the best-selling female poet of the time wow. and then dies under mysterious circumstances in Africa. And the part I find most fascinating, this is sort of the part I'm at right now, is that they're moving from sort of the romantic age, the age of Byron, into the Victorian age. Victoria is now on the throne. And um, you know, Dickens is the writer. And so all that sort of fun, scandalous, Byron-esque hijinks is being pushed aside. And part of the um, biography and the approach to this young woman poet is 
So they're trying to sort of smooth out the rough edges of her life and make her more respectable and um, show that really she was sort of what a, the, the, the angel in the house. She was a lovely domestic um, and pure young woman. Wow. That sounds so interesting. I'm keeping track of all of these books for my own Christmas list this year. <laughs> um, so Andy, what is on your nightstand? So I have to confess my, my nightstand is a little more aspirational than real right now because um, I'm a little swamped with all the, you know, the things of being a professor in December. Um, but I'll mention one thing that was on my nightstand and one thing that is um, probably next up in terms of fun, kind of fun reads. So what I read a little earlier this semester, finally, after a couple of years of intending to do so, was The Confessions of X by Suzanne Wolfe, which is basically um of you know fictional version obviously of um the story of saint augustine from the perspective of his concubine um and it's really well done i was really impressed by it um, i'd um been aware of the title a couple of years ago and just never gotten around to reading it so this fall i was lecturing on augustine we were talking about augustine and i thought i'm going to read this to kind of get myself back in the spirit and it'll be fun but related to what i'm doing <laughs> so um so that was that was really interesting i just thought she did a, a great job of um, bringing a, an unknown character to life and, um, and again, you know, sort of setting it in that time period well, I think. I mean, I'm not an expert on the, you know, the fourth and fifth centuries, so um, she could probably, you know, run some things by me that aren't true, but um, my sense is she did her job really well. Um, and then next up, um, which is kind of fun, but also looking ahead to Humanities to an Interim, um, I found a, a couple books about uh, Martin Luther, because I'm lecturing on Luther's Reformation. Um, I kind of skimmed one the other day, but there's one about Luther and Katarina, which seems really interesting, kind of the, the humanizing you know, of Luther, um, the human side. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of just reading through that. Um, and again, the author um, seems to you know, have done her research well, um, and so I'm kind of excited about taking a look. It came out appropriately enough in 2017, which turns out was a big year for Luther scholarship. I'm not sure why. <laughs> well, I'll just mention, we actually talked about the Confessions of X on this podcast, I don't know, maybe a year or so ago, because Abby Stocker, a former humanities teaching assistant, had told me about the book enthusiastically as sort of another way to approach Augustine. So um, yep. Just just so you know that humanity students do indeed continue to yeah. keep on reading and are interested in humanities themes, um, even after they're done with Bethel. So that's great. Dan, what's on your nightstand? Well, um, I, I start out the night with a book called Messing About in Quotes, which is just a book of quotes. <laughs> and so the one last night that I read was from Alice Roosevelt Longworth. Uh, who said, if you don't have anything good to say about someone, come up and sit by me. <laughs> <laughs> Judy makes me stop reading them after a while because it's so hilarious. Um, but uh, I, I have a friend from way back uh, called named Wilfred McClay, who's uh, quite a good historian now at Oklahoma. And he wrote kind of a popular history uh, to compete with Howard Zinn's uh, propagandistic uh, version. Um, and his, his book is called uh, America Land of Hope. And it's, it's probably written for a high school audience, uh, but it's very well done. And it's very, it's, the, the writing is good. I'm in the Civil War right now. So reading Rushika about 
uh, actually at the end, the impeachment of Johnson and the beginning of Grant. Uh, so Land of Hope by Wilfred McClay, really well done, basic history of the U.S. Oh, great. Well, and Carrie, what's on your nightstand? So keeping in the in Andy's theme of uh, a, a book rewritten from another perspective, a few weeks ago, we did a podcast on Camus' The Stranger, and Sam had recommended to us the Marceau Investigations. Yes. So I think Anne-Marie and I are both reading it right now. So that is on my nightstand. It's absolutely wonderful. And it was really fun to actually start reading it at the same time as we were teaching The Stranger. Um, so I've been reading that. And then continuing, I always have at least two to 10 books on my nightstand, somewhat aspirational. Um, and so the other one is Terry Pratchett's Jingo about war making in, in Discworld. Very entertaining. Nice. Yes. And well, Anne-Marie, what's on yours? I figured you were going to talk about the Merceau investigation. So I, I, I am also reading that, but I picked up at the same time as the Merceau investigation, um, Colson Whitehead's The Underground Railroad. So this was um, a very big book back in 2016. It's won, I think, several awards. I can't remember which ones. I had read another book by Colson Whitehead involving an elevator operator, which I was maybe less enamored with. And so I was kind of hesitant to start the Underground Railroad. But I actually started reading the Merceau investigation and then um, opened up the Underground Railroad. And now I've put the Merceau investigation to the side because I'm enamored with the Underground Railroad. Because when I was a kid, I imagined that the Underground Railroad was actually a railroad, right? I mean, I don't think that's unusual because, you know, you, you know, I don't know, you're a kid and that's, that's a fantastic idea to think that there is an actual Underground Railroad from the South up to the north and he actually puts that idea into the book hmm. so he he plays off that idea and takes that metaphor and makes it a metaphor as well as a reality at the same time in the book hmm. so it's it's great actually even though it's also depressing so <laughs> that's what's on my nightstand well we um have successfully virtually given each other books um i should also mention that I think in a couple of weeks, the Bookish at Bethel podcast will be one that um, book uh, that humanities students will have created because we are actually for humanities for asking our students as their final reflective project to create their own podcast. And so the idea is that each section will nominate a best podcast from the section and Sam has agreed to be the judge of the podcast and then will air as the final sort of Bookish at Bethel podcast of the year, a student produced, a student um, hosted, student guested. I don't know if that's really the right word there, but you get the idea. But that will be our last podcast of the uh, 2020 um, academic year. Yeah. And I'm excited to see how they turn out in, in my, in my section, I had uh, online virtual small groups for all of the, for the whole semester. And one of the groups started from the beginning, recording it as a podcast. 
Um, and so I just thought, oh, this is going to work really, really well um, as now those groups have coalesced each week meeting virtually to, to answer these questions. I think it'll be a fun project. Well, thanks so much, Humanities One team, teammates, for, for being here. And for those of you listening, you've been listening to Bookish at Bethel. Bethel.